Welcome everyone to another exciting episode of Adventures in Teaching and Reading. I'm your host, Mr. McKinney, and today we have a very special episode in store for you. We're continuing our whole school read-aloud journey with the second grade teachers and Mrs. Homrich from our media center at Costello Elementary School. But before we dive into the next few chapters, we have a special segment lined up. We'll be featuring the voices of our amazing students, sharing their reactions from last week's chapters of The One and Only Ivan. So let's get started. Alright listeners, let's get ready for some adorable and insightful commentary from our young readers. Let's hear what they had to say about the previous chapters, starting with Alex Chang. Hello, I love the part how Ivan mentioned something about me balls. And then at another part, you guys said something about uh, him drawing at somebody. And then he said something about he wanted the glossary there, then no glossary there. My name is Anandshi, and I'm from Miss Cavalich's second grade class. I think Ivan did the right thing to throw the meatball at the kids. As a vegan, I think gorillas and other animals should be in the wild, not in roadside zoos. Gorillas are awesome and they should have lots of space to run and play and be with their gorilla friends. They're happiest and healthiest when they're in their own homes, not stuck in cages on the side of the road. Let's let them be free and enjoy their natural lives. On chapter, my visitors return, Ivan got a big, like, he was being really mean. So maybe something bad is going to happen to him. Wow, such amazing insights from our young readers. Catherine Applegate, if you're listening, we really liked the meatballs. It's incredible to hear from all of you, so please make sure to send in your voice messages so that you can be featured on next week's podcast. Now, let's bring in our wonderful second grade teachers to share the next few chapters of our whole school read aloud. Please welcome Miss Atkinson and Mrs. Homrich. Hey, Costello Cardinals. We hope that you are enjoying your summer so far. We are here for the next part of the one and only Ivan. It is me, Miss Atkinson, second grade teacher at Costello. And good morning or good afternoon. It's Mrs. Homrich in the media. We are so excited to bring you um, the next few chapters. We are going to start on page 43 and the chapter is called Julia. Like the spit pebble children, Julia is a child, but that, after all, is not her fault. While her father George cleans the mall each night, Julia sits by my domain. She could sit anywhere she wants, by the carousel, in the empty food court, on the bleachers coated in sawdust, but I am not bragging when I say that she always chooses to sit with me. I think it's because we both love to draw. Sarah, Julia's mother, used to help clean the mall, but when she got sick and grew pale and stopped, stooped, Sarah stopped coming. Every night, Julia offers to help George, and every night he says firmly, homework, Julia, the floors will just get dirty again. 
homework, I have discovered, involves a sharp pencil and thick books and long size. I enjoy chewing pencils. I am sure I would excel at homework. <laughs> sometimes Julia dozes off, and sometimes she reads her books. But mostly she draws pictures and talks about her day. I don't know why people talk to me, but they often do. Perhaps it's because they think I can't understand them. Or perhaps it's because I can't talk back. Julia likes science and art. She doesn't like Lila Burpee, who teases her because her clothes are old, and she does like and she does like Deshaun Williams, who teases her too, but in a nice way. And she would like to be a famous artist when she grows up. Sometimes Julia draws me. I am an elegant fellow in her pictures, with my silver back gleaming like moon on moss. I never look angry the way I do on the fading billboard by the highway. I always look a bit sad, though. Aww. I can picture that in my mind. All right, drawing Bob. I love Julia's pictures of Bob. She draws him flying across the page, a blur of feet and fur. She draws him motionless, peeking out from behind a trash can or soft hill of my belly. Sometimes in her drawings, Julia gives Bob wings or a lion's mane. Once she gave him a tortoise shell. But the mm -hmm. best thing she had ever gave, give him, ever gave him wasn't a drawing. Julia gave Bob his name. For a long time, no one knew what to call Bob. Now and then, the mall worker would try to approach him with a little tidbit. Here, doggy, they'd call, holding out a french fry. Come on, pooch, they'd say. How about a little piece of sandwich? But he would always vanish into the shadows before anyone could get too close. One afternoon, Julia decided to draw the little dog curled up in the corner of my domain. First, she watched him for a long time, chewing on her thumbnail. I could tell she was looking at him the way an artist looks at the world when she's trying to understand it. Finally, she grabbed her pencil and got and set to work. When she was finished, she held up the page. There he was, the tiny, big-eared dog. He was smart and cunning, but his gaze was witzful. Under the picture were three bold, confident marks, circled in black. I was pretty certain it was a word, even though I couldn't read it. Julia's father peered over her shoulder. That's him exactly, he said, nodding. He pointed to the circled marks. I didn't realize his name was Bob, he said. Me either, she said Julia. She smiled. I had to draw him first. <laughs> I like that. Bob and Julia. Bob will not let humans touch him. He says their scent upsets his digestion. Hmm. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. <laughs> that is very interesting. <laughs> but every now and then, I see him sitting at Julia's <clears throat> feet. Her fingers move gently just behind his right ear. Oh, when you see that picture on the bottom of page 48 there, where you see Julia drawing and Bob right next to her. Oh. Maybe Bob, maybe, maybe Julia doesn't upset his digestion. <laughs> maybe <anymore>. not. <laughs> All right, next chapter is called Mac. Usually Mac leaves after the last show, but tonight he's in his office working late. When he's done, he stops by my domain and stares at me for a long time while he drinks from a brown bottle. George joins him, broom in hand, and Mac says the things he always says. 
how about that game last night? And business has been slow, but it'll get better. You'll see. And don't forget to empty the trash. Mac glances over the pitcher, over at the pitchers Julia is drawing. What are you making, he asks. It's for my mom, Julia says. It's a flying dog. She holds up her drawing, eyeing it critically. She likes airplanes and dogs. Hmm, Mac murmurs, sounding unconvinced. He looks at George. How's the wife doing anyway? About the same, George says. She has good days and bad days. Yeah, don't we all, Mac says. Mac starts to leave, then pauses. He reaches into his pocket and pulls out a crumpled green bill and presses it into George's hand. Here, Mac says with a shrug. Buy the kids some more crayons. Mac is already out the door before George can yell, Thanks! Not sleepy. We're on page 51. Stella, I say after Julia and her father go home, I can't sleep. Of course you can, she says. You are the king of sleepers. Shh, Bob says from his perch on my belly. I'm dreaming about chili fries. Bob seems very food-driven. Yes. Yes. Let's <laughs> <laughs> make my stomach run. <laughs> I'm tired, I say, but I'm not sleepy. What are you tired of, Stella asks. I think for a while. It's hard to put into words. Gorillas are not complainers. We're dreamers, poets, philosophers, nap-takers. I don't know exactly. I kick at my tire swing. I think I may be a little tired of my domain. I would be too if it was, you know, small and you were there for as long as he has been. Yeah, he's stuck in that cage. That's because it's a cage, Bob tells me. Bob is not always tactful. I know, Stella says. It's a very small domain. And you're a very big gorilla, Bob adds. Stella? I ask. Yes. I noticed you were limping more than usual today. Is your leg bothering you? Just a little, Stella answers. I sigh. Bob resettles. His ears flick. He drools a bit, but I don't mind. I'm used to it. Try eating something, Stella says. That always makes you happy. I eat an old brown carrot. It doesn't help, but I don't tell Stella. She needs to sleep. You could try remembering a good day, Stella suggests. That's what I do when I can't sleep. Stella remembers every moment since she was born. Every scent, every sunset, every slight, every victory. Oh, elephants do, they say, have a great yes. memory. They don't forget things. I thought that they have the best memory of any animal. Yeah. I think I've read that before. I'll have to check. <laughs> You know, I can't remember much, I say. There's a difference, Stella says gently, between can't remember and won't remember. That's true, I admit. Not remembering can be difficult, but I've had a lot of time to work on it. Memories are precious, Stella adds. They help tell us who we are. Try remembering all your keepers. You always liked Carl, the one with the harmonica. Carl, yes. I remember how he gave me a coconut when I was still a juvenile. A young one, right? Yes. It took me all day to open it. 
I try to recall other keepers I have known, the humans who cleaned my domain and prepared my food and sometimes kept me company. There was Juan, who poured Pepsis into my waiting mouth, and Katrina, who used to poke me with a broom when I was sleeping, and Ellen, who sang, How much is that monkey in the window? with a sad smile while she scrubbed my water bowl. And there was Gerald, who once brought me a box of fat, sweet strawberries. Gerald was my favorite keeper. I haven't had a real keeper in a long time. Mac says he doesn't have any money to pay for an ape babysitter. These days, George cleans my cage, and Mac is the one who feeds me. When I think about all the people who have taken care of me, mostly it's Mac, I recall. Day in and day out, year after year after year. Mac, who bought me and raised me and says I'm no longer cute. Aww. That's not nice. <laughs> made my heart just oh. so sad. As if a silverback could <clears throat> ever be cute. Oh, he doesn't have any confidence, it feels it's like. Not. That makes me feel so, so sad. So sad. Moonlight falls on the frozen carousel, on the silent popcorn stand, on the stall of leather belts that smell like long-gone cows. The heavy work of Stella's breathing sounds like the wind in the in trees, and I wait for sleep to find me. Oh. I hope something happy happens. Me too. <laughs> I'm just feeling so sad. I know. The beetle. Matt gives me a new black crayon and a fresh pile of papers. It's time to work again. I smell the crayon. I roll it in my hands, press the sharp point against my palm. There's nothing I love more than a new crayon. Oh, I feel about that, like wet pens. Mm. I search my domain for something to draw. What is black? An old banana peel would work, but I've eaten them all. Not tag is brown. My little pool is blue. The yogurt raisin I'm saving for this afternoon is white, or at least on the outside. Something moves in the corner. I have a visitor. A shiny beetle has stopped by. Bugs often wander through my domain on their way to somewhere else. Hello, beetle, I say. He freezes silent. Bugs never want to chat. The beetle, the beetle's an attractive bug with a body like a glossy nut. He's black as a starless, starless night. That's it. I'll draw him. It's hard making a picture of something new. I don't get the chance. I don't get the chance that often. But I try. I look at the beetle, who's being kind enough to not move, then back at my paper. I draw his body, his legs, his little antenna, and his sour expression. I'm lucky. The beetle stays all day. Usually bugs don't linger when they visit. I'm beginning to wonder if he's feeling all right. Bob, who has been known to munch on bugs from time to time, offers to eat him. I tell Bob that won't be necessary. I'm just finishing my last picture when Mac returns. Julie, George and Julia are with him. Mac enters the domain and picks up a drawing. The heck is this, he asks. Beats me what Ivan thinks he's drawing. This is a picture of nothing. A big black nothing. Julia stands just outside my domain. Can I see, she asks. 
Mac holds my pitcher up to the window. Julia tilts her head. She squeezes one eye shut. Then she opens her eyes and scans my domain. Noticing that they use the word domain a lot. Mm-hmm. Rather than like his cage, cage or, or his room. Mm-hmm. I know, she exclaims. It's a beetle. See that beetle over there by Ivan's pool? Man, I just sprayed this place for bugs. Mac walks over to the beetle and lifts his foot. Before Mac can stomp, the beetle skitters away, disappearing through the crack in the wall. Mac turns back to my drawings. So, you figure this is a beetle, huh? If you say so, kid. Oh, that's a beetle for sure, Julia says, smiling at me. I know a beetle when I see one. It's nice, I think, having a fellow artist around. I really like that part because it kind of shows that, you know, even though Mac and Julia were looking at the same piece of artwork, they both saw different things. Yes. And it's kind of like just the way you choose to look at something yes. sometimes mm-hmm. might give you a different story or a different picture. Yeah, it's a different perspective on things. Change. Stella is the first to notice the change, but soon we all feel it. A new animal is coming to the big top mall. How do we know this? Because we listen, we watch, and most of all, we sniff the air. (laughs) Humans always smell odd when change is in the air, like rotten meat with a hint of papaya. Interesting. That is interesting. I wonder if it's like a nervous smell, like their sweat, because they kind of stink. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I, <laughs> that, that, that could be totally realistic. I'm not sure. Guessing. <laughs> Bob fears our new neighbor will be a giant cat with slitted eyes and a coil tail. But Stella says a trunk will arrive this afternoon carrying a baby elephant. How do you know? I asked. I sample the air, but all I smell is caramel corn. I can hear her. Stella says. She's crying for her mother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I listen. I hear the cars charging past. I hear the snore of the sun bears in their wire domain. But I don't hear any elephants. You're just hoping, I say. Stella closes her eyes. No, she says softly. Not hoping. Not at all. Jambo. We're on page 63 if you're still following along with us. My TV is off, so while we wait for the new neighbor, I ask Stella to tell us a story. Stella rubs her right front foot against the wall. Her foot is swollen again in ugly, deep red. If you're not feeling well, Stella, I say, you could take a nap and tell us a story later. I'm fine, she says, and she carefully shifts her weight. Tell us the Jambo story, I say. It's a favorite of mine, but I don't think Bob has ever heard it. Because she remembers everything, Stella knows many stories. I like colorful tales with black beginnings and stormy middles and cloudless blue sky endings, but any story will do. I love how the author wrote the descriptions yes. of 
just the beginning, middle, and endings of stories, but the way that she used color and that she used mm-hmm. weather to use that description. Yes. I don't, that, that really caught my eye. That was... Yes, the cloudless blue sky yeah. endings. Mm. And it's kind of reminding me, like, also, like, this beginning isn't starting off, like, the happiest book I've ever read. You no. Know, I'm having a lot of empathy for the characters yes. that are stuck in these, these cages. I'm not in a position to be picky. Once upon a time, Stella begins, there was a human boy. He was visiting a gorilla family at a place called a zoo. What's a zoo? Bob asks. He's a street smart dog, but there's much he hasn't seen. A good zoo, Stella says, is a large domain, a wild cage, a safe place to be. It has room to roam and humans who don't hurt. She pauses, considering her words. A good zoo is how humans make amends. Stella moves a bit, groaning softly. The boy stood on a wall, she continues, watching, pointing. But he lost his balance and fell into the wild cage. Humans are clumsy, I interrupt. If only they would knuckle walk, they wouldn't topple so often. (laughs) I think I would fall more. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Spoken like a true ape. Stella nods. A good point, Ivan. In any case, the boy lay in a motionless heap while the humans gasped and cried. The silverback, whose name was Jambo, examined the boy as was his duty, while his troop watched from a safe distance. Jambo stroked the child gently. He smelled the boy's pain, and then he stood watch. When the boy awoke, his humans cried out, Stay still! Don't move! Because they were certain, humans are always certain about things, that Jambo would crush the boy's life from him. The boy moaned. The crowd waited, hushed, expecting the worst. Jambo led his troop away. Men came down on ropes and whisked the child to waiting arms. Was the boy all right? Bob asked. He wasn't hurt, Stella says, although I wouldn't be surprised if his parents hugged him many times that night in between their scoldings. I think this really did happen, too. To you a kid. So? Yeah, at a zoo. I feel like I've seen it on the news before. We might have to look that up. Yeah. Well, that would be a good thing to I wonder you know, if they research. got their information from there. Yeah. Bob, who has been chewing his tail, pauses, tilting his head. Is that a true story? I always tell the truth, Stella replies. Although I sometimes confuse the facts. <laughs> oh, now we're <laughs> definitely going to have to look this up. All right, page 67, Lucky. I've heard the Jambo story many times. Stella says that humans found it odd that the huge silverback didn't kill the boy. Why, I wonder, was that so surprising? The boy was young, scared, alone. He was, after all, just another great ape. But Bob nudges me with his cold nose. Ivan, he says. Why aren't you and Stella in a zoo? I looked at Stella. She looks at me. She smiles sadly with her eyes. 
just a little, the way only elephants can do. Just lucky, I guess, she says. Hmm. Arrival. Oh, do you think it's going to be an elephant? I don't know. Mm, by the picture, I think it might be. And I think so, too. It's <laughs> having us on a sneak peek, right? Unless it's still a... Arrival. The new neighbor arrives after the 4 o'clock show. When the truck comes lumbering toward the parking lot, Bob scampers over to inform us. Bob always knows what's happening. He's a useful friend to have, especially when you can't leave your domain. <clears throat> With a groan, Mac lifts the sliding metal door near the food court, the place where deliveries are made. A big white truck is backing up to the door, belching smoke. When the driver opens the truck, I know that Stella is right. A baby elephant is inside. I see her trunk poking out from the blackness. I'm glad for Stella, but when I glance at her, I see she is not glad at all. Uh Uh-oh. Hmm, I wonder why. Stand back, everyone, Mac yells. We've got a new (laughs) arrival. This is Ruby, folks. 600 pounds of fun to save our sorry butts. (laughs) This gal is going to sell us some tickets. Mac and two men climb into the black cave of the truck. We hear noise scuffling, a word Mac uses when he's angry. Ruby makes a noise, too, like one of the little trumpets they sell at the gift store. Move, Mac says, but still there is no Ruby. Move, he says again. We haven't got all day. Inside her domain, Stella paces as much as she's able, two steps one way, Two steps the other. She slaps her trunk against rusty metal bars. She grumbles. Only two steps for her little self. Yeah, that doesn't seem like that's enough room for another elephant. Stella, I ask, did you hear the baby? Stella mutters something under her breath, a word she uses when she's angry. Relax, Stella, I say. It will be okay. Ivan, Stella says, it will never, ever be okay. And I know enough to stop talking. No, no. No, do you think that they're going to now get rid of... Stella? Because Ruby's there now? I don't know. And I know oh. that Stella, um, Stella's hurt, right? Yeah, her paw... Like her at the bottom of her foot. Oh. They said, like, it's just like the elephant. That's why she was out. She left the circus. Yeah, because her, so her foot's not doing here. good. No. Oh. All right. Oh. Stella helps. The men are still yelling. Some of them yell. Some of the yelling is at each other, but most of it is at Ruby. Mm-hmm. We hear scrambling, pounding, shifting. The side of the truck shudders. I'm starting to like this elephant, Bob whispers. I'm getting the big one, Max says. Maybe she can coax this stupid brat out of the truck. That's not very nice. Not nice. Mac opens Stella's door. Come on, girl, he urges. He unties the rope attached to the floor bolt. Stella pushes past Mac, nearly knocking him over. She rushes as best as she can, limping heavily toward the back 
door of the truck. She lat she catches her swollen foot on the edge of the ramp and winces. Blood trickles down. Mm. Halfway up the ramp, she pauses. The noise in the truck stops. Ruby falls silent. Slowly, Stella makes her way up the rest of the ramp. It groans under her weight, and I can tell how much she is hurting by the awkward way she moves. At the top of the incline, she stops. She pokes her trunk into the emptiness. We wait. The tiny gray trunk appears again. Shyly, it reaches out, tasting the air. Stella curls her own trunk around the babies. They make soft, rumbling sounds. We wait some more. A hush falls over the entire big top mall. Thud. Thud. Step. Step. Pause. Step. Step. Pause. And there she is, so small she can fit underneath Stella with room to spare. Her skin sags, and she all and uh, and she sways unsteadily as she makes her way down the ramp. Not the greatest specimen, Mac says, but I got her cheap from this bankrupt circus out west. They had her shipped over from Africa. Only had her a month before they went bust. He gestures toward Ruby. Thing is, people love babies, baby elephants, baby gorillas. Heck, give me a baby alligator, I could make a killing. Stella ushers Ruby toward her domain. Mac and the two men follow at Stella's door. Ruby hesitates. Mac gives Ruby a shove, but she doesn't budge. Doggone it! Get a clue, Ruby, he mutters, but Ruby isn't moving, and neither is Stella. Mac grabs a broom, he raises it. Instantly, Stella steps in front of Ruby to shield her. Get in the cage, both of you, Mac shouts. Stella stares at Mac, considering. Gently, but firmly, using her trunk, she nudges Rumi, Ruby into the, her domain. Only then does Stella enter. Mac slams door shut with a clang. I see two trunks enter, intertwined. I hear Stella whispering. Poor kid, says Bob. Welcome to the Exit 8 Big Top Mall and Video Arcade, home of the one and only Ivan. Oh man, and that is where we are going to have to stop today um, for our podcast, but Wow, I really want to know what's going to happen. And I really wonder what did Stella whisper to Ruby yeah. in her ear? Maybe, hopefully, that she'll protect her. Yeah, it seems that way, especially with... Mac just does not seem very... He doesn't seem like the best, uh, the best owner. owner. No, no, he doesn't seem like he's treating them very fairly. I hope something changes. Me too. But you know what? Thank you all so much for tuning in. We so appreciate it. And we hope you guys tune in next week to figure out what's going to happen um, next with Stella and Ivan and Ruby. Um, and then Bob, yeah. Um, thanks for joining. All right, Costello. Have a great summer. We can't wait to hear from you. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thank you for joining us on another captivating episode of the One School, One Book podcast. We hope this journey through the pages of literature has left you inspired, entertained, and eager to dive deeper into the magical realms of storytelling. 
But before we part ways, we have a special request for you. As you continue your adventures in the world of words, we encourage you to ask your smart speaker to play the One School, One Book podcast. Whether you're seeking a literary escape during your commute, longing for bedtime tales that transport you to far-off lands, or simply yearning for thought-provoking discussions, our podcast will be your faithful companion this summer on this incredible literary voyage. We also want to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude to Audrey R. from Mr. McKinney's fifth grade class. Audrey, your creative talent shines bright, and we are honored to feature your captivating artwork as the cover of of this week's episode. Your vision and dedication have truly enriched our podcast, and we commend you for your exceptional contribution. Wow, Mr. McKinney, thank you so much for putting together the podcast for our One School, One Book, the one and only Ivan. It was so fun listening to the fifth grade teachers and Mrs. Pysik as they enjoyed the first few chapters of the story. And um, I look forward to hearing from parents and students as well. As you're reading, you'll notice that Catherine Applegate, the author, does such an amazing job of using figurative language to really bring the story to life. Love hearing also from Ivan's perspective, some of the things that he's saying about humans, how we waste our words and we're not very patient. So enjoy your summer reading. Thank you for participating and we'll... Look forward to hearing from you. See you next week. Remember, dear listeners, the power of stories lies not only in their ability to transport us to new realms, but also in their capacity to unite us. So let us continue to celebrate the written word, embrace the diversity of our voices, and foster a love of reading within our Costello community. Keep your imaginations ignited, your curiosity aflame, and join us again next week for another spellbinding episode of the One School, One Book podcast. Until then, Happy reading!